All right, welcome back. Week two of uh, Peacemaker. Uh, if you weren't here for week one, there's handouts up here for week one. So. There's two sheets. For, I don't know, pretty picture. <coughs> All right, let's get started. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, teaching us and, and giving us good things. Thank you for changing our hearts. Thank you for inviting us into hard things that you give much grace for. And so teach us today about owning our own stuff, our own sins, and how do we deal with other people's sins against us. Help us to be uh, charitable and uh, humble and uh, bold as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> so this week's uh, principle is called uh, Get the Log Out of Your Eye. And that will make more sense when we read this uh, second passage here in a second. Uh, uh, Nathan, can you read the principle for us today? The Instead of blaming others for conflict or resisting correction, we will trust in God's mercy and take responsibility for our own contribution in our place. Confessing our sins to those we have wronged, asking God to help us change any attitudes and habits that lead to conflict, and seeking to repair any harm we have caused. All right. Well, there's two things in that first line that we want to look at, and then we'll look at these. Uh, scripture passages and these principles here. <clears throat> so there's, he talks about conflict and correction. So I'm, I'm going to do some fill in the blank for you here. two things we want to think about uh, today. In conflict, how would we complete this sentence? Blank have a problem. You Houston. are Houston, we, we, we have, have a problem. A problem. <clears throat> but here we're talking about in a conflict, how many parties do we have? At least two. At least two. So it's a, we have a problem. Right? So there's going to be two sides to it. But in correction, somebody comes to you and says, You. You have a problem, right? So, okay, let's take a vote. Which uh, do you like better? <laughs> Which are you more comfortable with? <laughs> Admitting we have a problem. Both of them are hard, right? This can maybe be. Person A's over here, person B's over here. They're like not talking, but they're both kind of struck with ah, my friendship isn't working right now. We're not going to chat on Facebook until this cools down. So we're kind of like, we have a problem. And so overcoming this uh, issue, somebody. Party of the first part or party of the second part? Who's going to take the initiative 
to say we have a problem. What do you think should, uh, how do we decide who should be coming to the other person? Is there any kind of rules of thumb we should think about? Or? Jesus says when you bring your gift to the altar and remember that a brother has something against you, leave your gift to the altar and go being reconciled. Though. So that's the offender or offendee. Uh, you've been offended. You're supposed to go to them, even though you're the offended. Okay, so the offended. Offender. Well, well, actually, it doesn't say who did the offending. It just says so you, you know, know someone has something against you. Right, right. So they're just like dumb, right? They just got this big chip. Could be. Uh, did you deposit the chip there? Well, we don't know. They just got a chip, right? And so we have a problem. Yeah. Well, sometimes you think it's this way, but it's actually that way. I mean, a lot of times you think you're you're going to help someone, but it's actually. Yeah, here's like I've been observing you for a while, <coughs> and you're not doing so great. You're kind of clueless. So I'm going to clue you. I'm going to love you by cluing you in that you have this really big. Kind of like telling someone their flies down or you got a booger or expansion in your teeth. You're like, I'm going to love you by pointing this out. But what do you have to be ready for? I know you are, but what am I? Yeah, it takes one to know one. Okay, right. So uh, one thing when we're dealing with conflict is, are we really ready for there to be two sinners here? And a lot of times we're not. Like in this correction mode is, we've got righteous smart person and then dumb evil idiot kind of that white hat black hat kind of thing so coming in on the white hat pointing out the offense but, but what does Mr. White Hat need to be ready for if there's a conflict between these two people yeah he might be wearing a zebra hat right he needs to be ready that he's part of the problem as well so this is just creepy, because not only is it creepy to talk about we have a problem, but it's also creepy to have it be pointed out that you could very well be at least 50% of this person's issues. Right? And this is actually a gift, as we see in this first Proverbs verse. Confession is a gift and a pathway to freedom. So we don't need to fear showing up as a sinner. Because actually, if it shows up, what's the big problem with that? Shows that you're able to be forgiven. Yeah, oh wait, I'm one of those forgivable people then. Sinners get forgiven, so, wow, big deal. I'm a sinner. That just means God can forgive me. But why is it a big deal to be pointed out that you're a sinner? Why is that such, why is that news to us? We like it on the personal level. You're a sinner and you need to be made right with God. But we don't like it on the specific level. Uh, you did this to me, it hurt. So yeah, we all believe it on theological, theoretical. Sort of like, I have this friend. You know, how people talk about problems, they get really impersonal and theoretical. But actually it's very practical slash painful 
So if we're trying to avoid the pain of being called a sinner, we're actually going to avoid several things. We're going to avoid reconciliation. We're actually going to avoid the gospel. I don't want to... And, and this is really the way I thought about grace growing up. Do we have one in this room? Uh, there used to be glass boxes that says, in case of emergency, break glass, right? And what was inside? A cigarette. Yeah, all right. That's at the firing range when you have that sort of like blindfolded cigarette. In case of emergency, break glass, and there's a fire extinguisher in it, right? And many of us have the gospel in this glass case that says, in, ca- in case of emergency, use it, use grace. We never want to have to access grace because who gets grace? Well, sinners do. Well, I'm not going to be one of those guys who has to tap grace, you know, because that means you're planning to be bad or you're really bad and God doesn't want us to be bad. He wants us to be good. So we're kind of avoiding grace by being really good, but that's kind of a lame project, right? You'll never succeed. And you actually misunderstand like I did for many years what grace is. So look what it says here. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So this awkwardness that's coming out is we have a problem or you have a problem. That's a great mercy because, as we're going to see in a minute, one of our biggest problems is blindness to us being the problem. And when somebody points that out, they're actually doing a favor. Another proverb says, a rebuke is better than a kiss if you want to be wise. Getting a kiss from someone just makes you think, hey, I'm lovable and people love me. Getting rebuked, is that love? Well, yeah, it's people love me and they actually want me to be free from this thing that has captured me or, or ruling me. And so this gets a little to the uh, heart of this log and speck uh, verse that uh, Jesus uh, gives us here. Okay, you want to read this for us? The Matthew 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to see the, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, let's just try to figure out a few things from this. Is there really a speck? Are you imagining a speck? There really is a speck, right? But guess what's in in your eye? A log. A log. A little ironic, right? Let me get that microscopic sliver that I have to use an electron microscope to see. But what's coming out of you is like a 2 by 4 about 4 feet long, right? And somebody explain it this way. If you're coming at somebody with a four-foot board coming out of your eye, and you're going to help them, what are you doing? Whack! Poke! You know, they're all beat up, they're all bruised, they're all bloody. As you're going to help them, you're actually causing injury because you're so, what? Blind to the damage you're creating, you're blind to your own own stuff. So here we have a problem of clarity. but only in one direction. What do you think it is that we see other people's sins more clearly than our own? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it's like you're used to your own. It's like if you had really bad body odor, you're used to it. You don't smell it anymore. And other people come up and they're like, dude. You're like, what? Hey, you stink. And you're like, I don't know. I don't smell nothing. You know. Yeah, it's like you killed your uh, sniffer, right? <coughs> yeah, it's like we, we stop smelling our own junk, right? It becomes... You like ever watch those horror shows? You just can't oh, help yeah. but watch them, but it's like painful. It's like there's dead animals and sometimes dead people, and there's like old food. It's like, how can you live here? It's like, well, this is home for me, and the log is our home. You know, it's it's our stuff. It's what we, that's just how I am. Like, deal with it. You know, but we're we're wanting to help someone else because the way they are isn't cool. We're going to help them by pointing out this little fleck that they've got uh, in their eyes. But we're blind to Toronto. Uh, and Jesus uses really hard words. What does he call Mr. Log versus Speck? Hypocrite. <laughs> Which basically means not judging correctly, like having two different standards. And uh, <clears throat> so God's really going to free us by saying there's one standard there's grace for sinners and everybody in this situation is a sinner so there's some great equality here there's some great opportunity for fellowship here because you have so much in common with this other person I think a lot of people want to use this verse though as a way to never um, never have to confront people or they will say, well, I, I have too much sin in my own life, so I can't talk to this person about this because I'm not sinless. So, yeah. hence, nobody's probably this. So if you have sinner one and sinner two, and you're equal, maybe you start to think, and maybe people use this on you. What, what inevitable question comes up? Who are you? Who are you to come talk to me? about my stuff when you've got like blankety blank in your life what do we respond to that it's not about me it's about you yeah <laughs> come on yeah like, enough about me we're here about you right so uh, I've actually heard yeah yeah it's like let's stay on task here let's like you know mission focus let's uh, but God's grace means this is a two-way street. Because it literally says, when you take the log out of your own eye, you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That this two-way street is a way that God rescues both of us from sin's blindness and sin's captivity. So it's a rescue mission, but it's kind of like the Hippocratic Oath in helping do no what? Do no harm. So in loving sinners and in pointing out specks and logs, we want to do no harm, which means I don't want to beat this person up because I'm blind to my own sin. I want to be humbled and have some real clarity that's based on, and we would say, is based on the cross. That God puts the crosshairs on our sin as well as theirs. That it's not just selective anger at sin. It's total anger because look what this Proverbs verse says he who confesses and what will find mercy 
forsakes. Which means we don't just identify sins, go, ha, 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 I've tagged it, I flagged it, I called it, you know, I put an anonymous ticket in on you, I narked on you. No, it means we don't just label sin, we don't just target sin, we don't just put on a witch hunt for sin, we actually forsake sin. We don't just have this obsession with it, we have the actual hatred of it. Not only the sin that's in other people, but especially the sin that's in us. So we have to hate our sin as much as we hate their sin, and God's giving us that opportunity to hear about our sin in the process. And a lot of people avoid conflict resolution because we don't want to have our sins pointed out. Like somebody pointed out, that's not what I'm here for. Let's stay focused, right? <clears throat> so the first kind of principle we see is the log in my eye causes spiritual blindness to my own sin while I focus with laser-like precision on your sin. But the second thing, gospel, joy, and reconciliation comes when we see two sinners at the foot of the cross. Paul Tripp talks about this in uh, counseling. He says, how many counselees are in the room? Especially in marriages. The wife drags the husband. The counselor asks the husband, why are you here? I don't know, ask my wife. She's not going here. And then anybody else that was maybe observing that would say, oh boy, you're definitely here for you because you've got issues. But they're there for them. There's two sinners in this thing, and so there's grace uh, for sinners, and we can be restored. And if we're letting God focus uh, His grace as well as His sights on our sin, that means we can be freed uh, from our sin as well. So... This uh, peacemaking thing is actually good news for us, is that two people get healed, not just the problem person, right? Because who becomes the problem person if we're open? Yeah, there's two options now. Before, there was only one option, like you're coming to reveal you have a problem, and we start to actually see we have a problem. And, there, and then we're not trying to assign percentages. We're trying to find ways to conquer our own, our own sin. <clears throat> and maybe you like the percentage game. Isn't that fun? <clears throat> yeah, you're 90% wrong. That just makes me 10% wrong. So if you weren't 90% wrong, then I wouldn't be 10% wrong. Because naturally, I'm a really good guy. And very understanding, not a jerk. So you just put a hex on me or something and turn me into ten percent wrong. I don't know how you do that, but stop, right? You know, we don't need that, right? <clears throat> so there's this other uh, concept. It, it's even in the kind of the popular twelve step uh, that you probably heard Alcoholics Anonymous uh, celebrate recovery about. Um, Step one in the 12 steps is acknowledge a higher power that without it you can't change. And the Christian version says, well, God, by his grace and forgiveness, enables me to change, uh, change my ways. And then several steps down in the 12 steps talks about addressing the damage I've done to other people through my behaviors of addiction or anger or, or different things of, of violating trust is making of, of amends. But at first, 
part that sounds kind of creepy, right? What does making amends sound like? That would maybe not sound very healthy here. Scott? Sounds like getting back on someone. Yeah. But sort of in a good way, right? Making amends means I gotta pay for what I did, right? Some sort of restitution. Restitution or penance or groveling or buy off money, you like hush money. You know, it sounds kind of mafia a little bit. <clears throat> it's like I'm buying some protection, right? You know, gonna but actually this is a biblical uh, why is this actually a biblical idea? Well, let's read the Bible first and see if it's teaching us. I, I think it's uh, Meredith, can you read the Zacchaeus first? Thing? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So what's Zacchaeus doing? How many of you would say he's doing what he did kind of like a creepy tax collector? His heart hasn't changed. He's up to old tricks. Or how many of you would say the gospel got a hold of him and his heart is just overflowing with he wants to love people and instead of grabbing money, he wants to give money? Do you see? How many of you think the second? second? <clears throat> yeah, look at, look at Zacchaeus. He's like, Cool, I sure got away. Now I got forgiveness and a lot of people's money. Awesome. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Cake and eat it, too. But something has gripped him. Why does he think he has to give away that money? <clears throat> and Jesus says afterwards, today salvation's come to this house. So it's somehow Jesus' Jesus's visit and interaction with him has changed him. And obviously Zacchaeus is exercising hospitality. And it seems to be, he said basically my house is not where I keep all my stuff under lock and key and several guns and security guards and lasers. <clears throat> my house is now a place where I give, give away my life. It's not about amassing and protecting, it's about giving and sharing. You realize it's not like Yeah, basically when Jesus says Zacchaeus, we learned it in Sunday school. I'm coming to your house today. And you're like, well, that's creepy. Jesus is going to come to my house. Like, I better clean up, right? Uh, but Zacchaeus, he's like, he sees that as a huge blessing. Why would he want to come to my house? To come into someone's house was to actually, like, bless it, to grace it with your presence. And here God is, in Christ, is coming to his house to eat a meal with him, which we're kind of going to see that in a little bit in worship uh, communion. I was this crook, I was this nasty guy, shady. God wants to come to my house and eat with me. Whoa. Kind of what we talked about last week. Who who's the el what's the elephant in the room that we talked about last week? In personal life. <clears throat> and glorify God. Does the elephant come? God or is the elephant conflict? The obvious thing that's in our face. What did I last week about? God's the obvious thing here. God's redeeming this. God is loving sinners. God is pointing out the real truth. And that's a blessing. 
So one sentence Zacchaeus is saying, it's a great blessing that Jesus has pointed out my life and all of its ugliness. So my new life, I want it to be about uh, the freedom and giving freely where I have uh, formerly just stole freely from, from people. <coughs> Any thoughts or questions on that? On that? <coughs> backtrack a little bit about the percentages. I think it's really challenging because when Christine and I get into arguments, like the first instinct I always have is it's really easy to solve who who started it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we played a who started it game. Um, and then my rule is like, well whoever got angry first is the one who started it. The rule is well, what did you do to make me angry? <laughs> <laughs> So you're going to do it again, let's identify that. Exactly. Um, but I think it's really challenging to think of it like that. You know, don't think of it in terms of percentages. But once you get into conflict, you're both percentages, regardless of who started it. I think that's so challenging because sometimes, you know, the other person really did start it, but you responded in a simple way. And you can focus on that. Yeah, I've seen this for that. So, that's it's revolutionary. If yeah. we have to do it. Yeah, we've already cooked the two egg omelet. There's no way of figuring out which egg is which, right? <coughs> We're basically saying God's called it an omelet. It reeks. It's got to go. Um, let's not unscramble. Because then you have a fight over the making up part, which is so fun. And I've done it. So. <coughs> I thought wait, you were coming to make up. Well, no, I was actually trying to get you to confess and you'd be out of it, you know. So that's kind of what comes out is there's not two sinners here, there's just one half. But isn't there sort of an assumption here that there's always a percentage and therefore there's always an owning up on both sides? I mean, if, if there was a conflict, for example, if, if someone got up, you know, Patrick gets up and he's denying the Trinity, there's no blame to go anywhere but on him. Yeah, yeah. And so the conflict that arises from that, it's not it's not a we. It is a he. Um, now it's, it's those are you know, with Jesus, because those Jesus has lots of conflict. It's rather obvious. It's it's always everybody else, right? Because he's the one that's holy. But <laughs> you know, um, but there are other conflicts in the Bible where it's pretty clear, you know, Moses is right and they're wrong. Um, Paul is right and the Pharisees are wrong. Um, be honest to myself, it's, I don't think I've ever been in that situation. <laughs> I, almost every fight I've been. Yeah. In. Oh, I know that. I've never, I've never come to have one, but. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, the offense is clear and it's pretty contained, like a tumor. The doctor says this is contained. We can get to it, right, and get it out cleanly. There is some of that, but obviously, the surgeon when he's in there, he can do a victory. You know, we've identified it, we've called it what it is, but then we like just really mess it up and it goes horribly wrong. And that's actually kind of where the sin comes in. In some of these cases, is how we approach it with what kind of, you know, venom we come like. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, I love nuking people in the morning, you know, on blogs or something. You know, it's just like, I love the smell of fried theologians. Like, I kind of wonder about the, the historical Protestant versus Roman Catholic issues of the 16th century. We as Protestants 
typically going to say it was all Rome's fault. But I always had the question, okay, was there any role that we had to play in all of that conflict that even if we were only 10% Rome or 5 or 2, didn't did we have some part in it? Well, Luther was so suave and very gentle. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was no, you couldn't really take that the wrong way, could you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, Paul talks to Timothy a lot, because he's a young pastor, young elder, who obviously is going to be tempted to overcompensate. He was kind of a shy guy, but then what do shy people do to overcompensate? Go super gonzo, like, I'm not scared of nobody, you know, just like, um, so he says basically, be gentle, be an example in your love and in your speech and in your purity, uh, in your gentleness, you know, correct people, correct older men like you would a father, you know, just, just don't blast them because you're the new guy on the block and you just came out of seminary and everything, you know, be very careful about uh, your youth and, and your clarity of vision, you know, because you're like, 2020 baby, you know, I just graduated, so... No, yeah, in 2020, <laughs> when you just graduated. So, because uh, <clears throat> you don't see your own sin. So, there's something we need to think about is, yeah, maybe they're 99.999 wrong, but be very, so it makes us self-suspicious instead of just others. I mean, just basically what you're saying, you know, sometimes people have really wronged you and you didn't actually play a role in until you go to them, but I mean, I guess the thing is you have to be praying for him, and that's you know, praying for the person that you're really pissed off with, and praying for yourself you know, and forgiveness for you know that you're sensitive or whatever you know, I mean, there's Yeah, this gets to and this is a little bit on this next point concrete sins point us to sin patterns Some people do things repeatedly, and it isn't just they did offense one, offense two, offense three, offense four. This is just like the story of their life, and they don't ever quite change. And so how many times do you keep correcting them? Because it seems like they're kind of dense, and they kind of don't get it. And you could draw them a picture, and they wouldn't get it. So do you just kind of like... These are just one of those difficult people that every church has, so I guess we'll just tolerate you and kind of avoid you. We'll smile at you and invite you to potlucks every so often, but not really want to hang out, you know, because they're really problematic. So this is a, a deep wisdom issue. Is how do we love each other over time when we keep doing the same junk? If we keep pointing out things and people done... I think we talked about this after one time, but <clears throat> and we keep thinking that well, maybe it's me because I keep having this problem with this person. Maybe I'm hypersensitive, but maybe it really is that they're actually that bad, you know? And and I think that's kind of where church uh, leaders can get involved too, because then it's kind of it's become kind of a disease, as it were. It's not just that's a quirk of their personality, but this is having kind of family repercussions. You know, we're not going to let this person hijack the family vacation kind of thing. 
we're going to love them and just basically say you can't be like that. So we call that church discipline, kind of on a continuum of kind of confront. And uh, maybe look at this uh, slippery slope for a second. So what I'm talking about here is, is patterns. Uh, let me get one each. Some people have it for us. A huge uh, thing is to, uh, on this tan part, the beige part, overlook. And this seems to maybe contradict this part, which we're talking about clarity and pointing out respect because we're seeing stuff there. Overlooking an offense, doesn't that seem to be kind of like turning a blind eye to it? What do you think overlook means in terms of doing things or, or bugging us or something. <clears throat> Actually, I was having this conversation with, uh, with somebody about somebody else um, this week on the phone, and it's difficult because if you have, let's say you have a 30-year-old man, and he became a Christian six months ago, because he's chronologically 30 years old, you have certain expectations, and, and yet he's actually in some ways probably more immature than your boys. Because your boys have had a lot more years of being uh, discipled and having good models and being corrected. And so there's a sort of sense in which you got to look at someone, even though they're 30 years old, go, okay, where were they before? Where were they a year ago? Well, a year ago they were you know, doing crack and doing this and this, that and the other thing. So even though this seems bad, they're a lot better than they were a year ago. And so I'm going to give them some grace, realizing they're still in their Christian diapers. Know, um, but there are also it seems to be senses if you're especially with your friends, if you were getting on about every little thing, that's all you would be doing. Yeah. So there's a certain sense where okay, this is really annoying, but I'm gonna put up with it because I'm and I'm gonna hope he's gonna put up with some of my annoying things too. That's a huge concept. It sounds kind of squishy, therefore not very. Hardcore. But you got to pick a point, Kate. Yeah. No, this is something that really needs to be addressed. Yeah, you got to like dial down your sensors, otherwise it'd be like, I mean, all the time you couldn't like ever get anything. Done. It's like if your kid's ten years old and still in diapers. Okay, you know what? We're a little past something. You yeah, like, have a problem. You got a problem. So it's got to be this give and take. You know, there's basically you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Meaning. There's some stuff we're not just going to bring up. That's just going to be like under the bridge, you know. It's just like that's we're both sinners. We do stupid stuff. It's just like rolls off my back. Then there's other times, and that's kind of where Proverbs says things like, "Answer a fool according to his folly," and then you know what the next verse says? Don't answer a fool according to his folly. And you're like, Solomon, which one? <laughs> and he says, depends what day it is, who you are, who you're talking to. It's like, that's what wisdom is, is basically saying we want to be open to confronting, but we don't want to be confronting all the time. You know, so how do we do that? Yeah. Can this potentially be abused, though, by the offender who tends to uh, always say, well, you're not supposed to assume that I'm going to do that, even though I've always done it in the past. Yeah. What, what, where does that leave the offender? Yeah, we're like, God's mercy is a new every morning. Get over it. Don't talk about, you know, um, 
Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, we do this. So, because uh, we don't want to treat people based on history, but guess what? We have a history with them. You know? Oh, they all they tend to do this thing, and if we love them, part of us loving them in an understanding way means they struggle with this, and we're gonna have to figure out as friends how do we talk about this in a developing way so that they not only confess it like, yeah, I'm sort of lame that way. Yeah, get over it. Um, actually, what that Proverbs verse says, and forsakes it. So helping people to not only identify it, but also forsake it, inviting them to kind of contemplate, man, what would your life look like if this wasn't, like, ruling you? Like, let's kind of blue sky this, kind of imagine. Now, that's kind of what the gospel does for us. Let's imagine us in that same old situation with a different response. What would that what would that look like, you know? Because you seem kind of to do the same the same thing. And people have invited me to think about differently in my relationship with Nancy. What would it look like to knowing that God loves you and forgives you and that has saved you and filled you up to serve Nancy? What would it look like in your next conflict to feel full of God's grace and full of love and to respond to that same issue again? And so in one sense, the gospel, and, and even this pointing out we have a conflict, is God's way of actually highlighting the path forward, a new way uh, to respond. And so many of us don't have new ways to respond. We just keep responding the old way. God interrupts kind of the, this flow that we're in and introduces us to a potential new way. Through this awkward, we have a problem uh, conversation. So we need to be inviting that, and we also need to be ready to say, man, I've got a log here. I don't see my own sin very clear uh, at all. And uh, So we'll talk uh, more about this in the next uh, session as well. Um, in two weeks, uh, Eric's going to talk uh, next week. I'll be in Fremont uh, preaching at uh, New Life Church. Down there for our friend Dave Lee. So, uh, so yeah, let me just pray and then we'll go worship and celebrate our reconciliation around, around the table. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us and you want to interrupt uh, this just normal flow of being dumb and, and responding sinfully, even when we think we're seeing someone's sin and helping them see it. Uh, thank you for showing it to us, uh, our own sin, so that we can see the Savior and then see a way to be at peace with each other and to live on common ground, which is... Uh, that we've been forgiven and that uh, we've been forgiven much. And like Zacchaeus, we would want to be giving away uh, things freely because you have freely given us forgiveness. And uh, we didn't deserve it. Thanks for this day. Help us to uh, enjoy this wonderful picture of reconciliation and unity as sinners who are saved and loved and brought home uh, around the community table this morning. Thanks for all you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.